Welcome to the podcast of the preaching ministry of LifePoint Church, led by Pastor Lane Harrison. We pray this ministry is a blessing for your life. For more information about LifePoint, please visit lifepointozark.com. For more information and resources from Pastor Lane, please visit mlaneharrison.com. Well, let's go to John chapter 6. I want to begin by reading verses 60 to 71 today as we talk about the words of eternal life. When many of his disciples heard it, they said, this is a hard saying. Who can listen to it? But Jesus, knowing in himself that his disciples were grumbling about this, said to them, do you take offense at this? Then what if you were to see the Son of Man ascending to where he was before? It is the Spirit who gives life. The flesh is no help at all. The words that I have spoken to you are spirit and life. But there are some of you who do not believe. For Jesus knew from the beginning who those were who did not believe and who it was who would betray him. And he said, this is why I told you that no one can come to me unless it is granted by him by the Father. After this, many of his disciples turned back and no longer walked with him. So Jesus said to the twelve, do you want to go away as well? Simon Peter answered him, Lord, to whom shall we go? You have the words of eternal life, and we have believed and have come to know that you are the Holy One of God. Jesus answered them, Did I not choose you, the twelve? And yet one of you is a devil. He spoke of Judas, the son of Simon Iscariot, for he, one of the twelve, was going to betray him. May God bless the reading, the hearing, the understanding, and the obeying of his word today. We begin with a bit of a shock this morning. I don't know of anyone who's been a follower of Jesus for any length of time who hasn't been confronted in some way and to some extent by the situation that we see here. Do you want to walk away from God? And in this setting, we will see today what we know as apostasy, walking away from Jesus. These are not easy sermons, rather quite the opposite, very challenging. And I'll just begin with a personal confession. There have been several moments in my life that I can remember wanting to do this very thing. For many of you, you've heard me before share my testimony or parts of my testimony. How as a 16-year-old high school sophomore, my great-grandmother passed away. And as she passed away, it caused something to trigger in me to want to walk away from God. It was really a moment of culminating a number of events that had been occurring over the last year and a half or so of my life leading up to that time. But at that moment and with what I came to know as my greatest fear in life, what I couldn't control, it led me to a point where all I could say to God was, I'm done with you, I want nothing else to do with you, and I wanted to walk away. And to be quite honest, I didn't just want to walk away, but I began to run. And the next season of my life could be more defined by running away from God than not. At other moments, I've said things like this to God. God, I love you. But I don't want anything to do 
with the church or with anything else associated with you. I want to love you, but I don't want to love all this stuff around you. What I've come to learn through the years, both personally in my own struggles and also pastorally in leading the church, so often that's the first step or the first, shall I say, statement of apostasy itself. Friends, what I want you to hear this morning in this message is simply this, that Jesus is the word that gives eternal life by the Spirit when we believe in him. And I want you to take that and hold it this morning as we will center our thoughts and our ideas around him and hopefully he will become the message that we embrace today. I want us to look today at three questions that are posed in this passage. And here's what I want us to do with these three questions. First of all, I want you to diagnose where you are in following Jesus today. Some of you no doubt are closer and some are farther away. But I'll say this to you. Proximity to where you are today is no guarantee of remaining. And it is no guarantee of walking away. And so... I'm going to ask you to stay for all three questions, not just to answer the first. Because the second, I'm hoping, will help you discern where you are. Not only to diagnose with some truth that might be hard, but to discern what is taking place in your own heart and in your own life. And ultimately, to strengthen the trueness of your belief in Jesus. And for some of you today, maybe to call you for the first time to put your trust in him and to receive him as Lord and Savior, to have your sins forgiven and to be separated from him. As far as the east is from the west, the Lord says in his word. And so as we come to verse 60, we understand this. Jesus has just finished his teaching in verses 22 to 59 about what it means for him to be the bread of life. Six times he tells the people, I'm the bread of life. He's saying something with much deeper spiritual meaning than just what they're hearing on the surface. And the way he's saying it, and shall I just say the number of times that he's saying it, make that very obvious. But as they continue to harden themselves to listen to what he's saying, He continues to deepen and to draw commitment out of those who are hearing it. And they simply say this, these are hard teachings. Who can listen to this? Now, we can understand a little bit about the difficulty that they would say about it because the last thing Jesus said is, if you don't eat my flesh and drink my blood, you cannot abide in me. And it, you know, at some surface level, we can understand that they were going, we become cannibals to become Christians? But the fact of the matter is, we really have to dismiss the whole of the conversation to get to that point Because Jesus is only strengthening the understanding of his teaching as he's confronted by the hardness of their hearts to reject it. And that's what's shown in these verses. This is a hard teaching. Who can understand it? They want to dismiss it because they don't want to accept it. But Jesus knew the real hardness, friends, was not in the teaching, but rather it was in the hard hearts of the hearers. 
those who didn't want to accept it. They were grumbling over the teaching. And we've already seen over the last two weeks in verses 22 to 59, grumbling never does anyone any good. Neither the grumbler or the ones in proximity to the grumbling. And so Jesus responds, and his response provides our first question, to diagnose our own place in belief with him. And here's what he asks each of us today. Do you take offense at this teaching? Do you take offense at Jesus' teaching? He just simply asks, are you offended by the fact that I've said you must feed on my flesh and drink my blood to abide? That's the understanding that we see. And Jesus says this, would you be less offended if I said to you that I'll ascend back to the place from which I've come, back up into heaven? Would that make you believe if you saw me levitate for a moment and then just continue to go up? Well, yeah, maybe we would. because And Jesus says this, you actually wouldn't. Because you would find a reason to dismiss that miracle in the same way you found reason to dismiss every other miracle that I've given you. And when I explain to you what that meant, because your heart is hard to me, you would find a way to justify your own hardness and unbelief by dismissing that equally as much. You think there's one other thing I could do, but in fact, you, in the same way you've done with everything else I've taught, would find a way to dismiss that As offensive as his other teachings might have been, it was only because it was difficult because it met a hard heart that didn't want to accept it. He says this, he says, it is the spirit that gives life. The flesh is no help at all. You see, friends, One of the reasons that we take offense at Jesus' teachings, one of the main reasons that is manifested in a number of different ways is because we don't believe that Jesus has satisfied the questions that we've asked. Now, we have the advantage of seeing how he's fully satisfied everything that they've posed before him. But you see, the flesh here can be manifested in a number of different ways. For instance, one of the ways is they said, you know, isn't the Messiah supposed to come from God? But this guy's from Galilee. So in their flesh, they were rationalizing. They were beating against the proof he had providing with an intellect that they could define and that they could understand instead of a revelation that God had given to them. In the flesh, they were trying to answer some of the questions that had been posed to them by their own strength and what people or humanity was capable of instead of what God had revealed to them. So Jesus says, the flesh is not going to help you. There's not an argument that I'm going to be able to give that's going to be able to convince you because everyone that I put forth, you'll find a different rationale to justify your hardness. There's not a miracle that I'm going to be able to present to you that's going to wow you beyond where your unbelief is because you would have already seen it if that were the case. The fact of the matter is, there is nothing within the flesh that's going to convince you because what I'm saying has already been revealed to you and you've rejected it because of the hardness of your heart. Jesus was speaking of eternal life. 
And he says this, it is the spirit that gives, these li- that gives life, this life, through the words that I am teaching you. And that's why he was teaching deeper spiritual truths. But the people continued to reject his teachings because they rejected him. Jesus' teachings are always offensive when our heart is hard and unreceptive. And we may receive 99% of what we hear, but listen, it's the 1%, the 1% that's keeping us from believing fully in Jesus. You see, taking offense is a natural defense mechanism in sensitive areas, is it not? We may not be sensitive in any other area unless you hit that one trigger area for us. What most people miss regarding offense is simply this. If you won't take it, you don't have to be it. Now, that's a very surface level practical application here. But I want to move it to a deeper level. If you won't take offense, you don't have to be offended. That's a lesson our whole world could learn right now. We'd have to shut down social media, but that's part of it, right? No one can put it on you if you won't take it for yourself. You see, we get offended because we guard personal areas of sensitivities and sensibilities as a protective mechanism for where our heart is hard towards people, towards ideas, towards things. And usually, there's good reason why we've done this. We've been hurt. We've experienced pain or loss. Something has happened beyond our understanding. And so what we've done is we've quarantined an area and we've built around it. Much like um, after a surgery, you have scar tissue that, that the body reacts to protect. We have also tissue, if you will, that surrounds an area of sensitivity so that it can be defended from anything that would come around it. Now, if you're offended as a medical person right now because I incorrectly use scar tissue, I'm sorry. I'm not a medical person. But you get what I'm saying. You see, when your heart is open and receptive, we can accept things, even things that come directly against us, without offense. Because our heart is protected by a greater love that is living within us and not hardened on the outside by a shell. But when hurt and offense hardens us, we hear what justifies us, not just what got said to us. And what we must come to realize is this, friends. None of us are more than one hard-teaching from walking away from Jesus. If it dings that place, it may well be the thing that says to us, I'm done with you, God. We must either soften our heart, which friends, I can't say it never happens, but I'll tell you this, it seldom ever happens. Softening our heart in our own strength. Or, It's so exhausted by defending our hurt that we become desperate. And in moments of desperation, we come to a place where God can help us more in that area, in that way, and in that moment than maybe any other place because we've exhausted ourselves and we're receptive to what he wants to do. 
the vulnerability of that moment is we're also receptive to false substitutes. And that's where we must be careful. A hard heart, though, takes offense by everything that opposes it or challenges it. And unbelief in Jesus hardens our heart towards Jesus. That's what verse 666 says. After this, many of his, what does it say? Disciples turned back and no longer walked with him. Disciples. I thought disciples were people who were following Jesus, right? I thought, I thought that's what we were all about, making disciples and people who would never turn away from Jesus. What is going on here? I think it's the reality. Friends, this is the reason that, that Jesus is so real to me. There's not an area of your life that he is insufficient to fully address, to heal, and to satisfy beyond your imagination if you'll open your life to him. But you've got to receive him. Let me ask you this. How many of the people who walked away that day in their own minds do you think were justified? Do you think any of them walked away going, I shouldn't be doing this. This is not good. I, this is wrong. I should, you know. I don't. I think everyone that walked away that day was fully justified in their mind. He has not done what he should have done. And so I am justified in walking away from it. You know why I believe that? Because when we take offense, it always allows us to make it feel like it's someone else's fault. And I can justify my own actions with that rationale. But Jesus says that his words are spirit that brings life. And nothing we attain to in the flesh can we achieve that brings the same. You see, Jesus' words are spirit and life to us. That's why Jesus is the living word in which we believe. But let me ask you this before we continue. Do Jesus' teachings cause you to take offense? Maybe today's lesson or maybe some other lesson that's in the word. An area of the Bible you don't like or you, you've not fully understood it because you didn't like it enough to not have to deal with it anymore and you just dismissed it. Maybe you've done like some scholars through the years have done. I, I was listening to a podcast yesterday that was talking about the scholars in the Jesus Seminar movement of the late 60s and 70s that have shaped a lot of anti-Christian and even subversive Christian theology today that says they systematically walked through the Bible and just took out what shouldn't be there in their own understanding. And when they finished, they were left with roughly seven pages. Or excuse me, 17 pages. How generous of them, right? And they just said, well, this couldn't be, this wouldn't be, this shouldn't be, this can't be. And they would tear a page out and then another and then another. And we go, well, that's ludicrous. Why would they do that? Well, the question comes, why would we? Because when we read the word and we go, well, I don't know if I like that. I don't know if I agree with that. I'm not even sure I understand that. Then why wouldn't it lead us to say, I need to understand God more instead of just dismissing God. And what Jesus is asking them is this very issue with us. Do you take offense at Jesus, at his word, and at his teaching? 
If you find that your heart today in any area, in any way, is hard towards Jesus' teachings, might I just compel you today, do not stop to listen at this point. There is hope. You are not without hope. Ask God to help you to soften your heart so that you can hear and understand and believe. You see, God never refuses any who seek him when we seek him with our whole heart heart. That's what his word tells us. But there still remain some who are hard. Even as it says, many turned away that day and no longer followed him. Friends, hear me. When we diagnose where we are with God today, many go through the motions of being a disciple. But a label means nothing if we don't follow the Lord with our whole life. That's a warning for you today. As you diagnose, I want you to know where the danger lies today. I don't care what you've labeled yourself as, how you've accommodated this walking with Jesus. Being in the crowd is no guarantee of being one of God's children. Don't allow a label or a title that you've embraced to in some way allow you to dismiss areas where you're rejecting God, where you're dismissing God, or whether you're staying at arm's length away from God. And so we have this moment while many were walking away. It tells us this, verse 67, that Jesus turned back to his disciples. Whoa, it's getting kind of confusing. Same word, different meanings. Talk about that in a moment. And he said this. This is our second question to help us discern. Do you want to go away as well? The first question diagnoses whether or not we can be offended by God. Do you take offense at this? The second question discerns where we stand with God in the offense we have taken in the moment when the hard teaching arises. Do you want to go away as well? When I read these verses, I think of a profound impact they must have had on Jesus' disciples that remained. This was a moment of disappointment that would be a micro-preparation for the moment of devastation when Jesus would actually be crucified on the cross. I mean, think about it. The wave of momentum that had been building in the days leading up to this were almost unfathomable. Jesus would like show up and the crowds would swell by the thousands. And here they are, thousands of people that are swarming around him. And all of a sudden, I mean, it just seemed like they couldn't lose, right? And all of a sudden, in a moment, masses walked away we have a chink in the armor right we're 11 and 1 or 11 and 0 and that 12th game upends us and we can't do anything right it's that moment that impacts you in such a way when you think oh my goodness disappointment yea even devastation sets in I also think of the shock that they must have sensed in all the days and the weeks and the months in which they've been following Jesus, the audacity of him to ask this question. 
the audacity. God, I've served you. I've helped people in your name. I've done what you've asked me to do. And you have the audacity to ask me if I want to go away as well. You see, Jesus is not trying to offend you. Jesus is trying to help you, to help you discern where it is that the hurts, that the pains, that the unanswered questions, that the devastations of your life still tempt you to walk away from him. Because if you won't let him deal with them, Your flesh will not help you at all. In some ways, you're sitting on a ticking time bomb, friends. Spiritually, devastation is ticking within you. Consider all the questions they must have instantaneously surged in their mind. What have we just witnessed? Why why are they doing this? Where are they going? Would they continue to do it? Was this just all going to come completely unraveled? There was no assumption. There was no entitlement in that moment that would be allowed to remain. Simply this, do I believe and will I trust or will I walk away? John sets this scene as a life-shaping moment for the twelve. As a matter of fact, this is the first time that those who would become the apostles are identified as the twelve. There's a distinction that gets set here, friends. And the distinction is in this word, disciple. For this word is used in five different ways in the New Testament that I found. And it ranges from everything from those who would apostatize to those who would become capital A apostles. Same title, very different levels of belief. The most powerful moments that shape our life, that shape us in the deepest ways, usually flow from the most profound chaos and questioning of our life. I told you about my grandma's, my great-grandmother's death that affected me so deeply as a 16-year-old. And if you've heard me tell that story before, what you would know is, but seven months later, in running from God, there was somewhat of a fish that stopped me, you might say. And it was in the middle of a night that God took my heart and moved me from unbelief and rebellion to trust And I can't describe all of the ways for the sake of time, but I'm telling you that God moved and saved me on that night. And then five years later, five years later, this will show you how there's there's not entitlement, there's not assumption that can be allowed, but only true belief in the words of God. Five years later, in May of that year, my grandmother was diagnosed with pancreatic and colon cancer. In four months, she went from gardening to the grave. And in preparing for her funeral, that happened very quickly through her death. Again, in my heart, at this time, I was already a youth minister. I was serving in ministry, and and I was teaching God's word to people. And all of a sudden, God did this thing in me where he brought this fear that caused me at once to run from him and reject him. He brought it all back. And all I could say to him was, God, you know what this does to me. You, You know where the fear is in me, and you know where this leans me. I don't want to walk away from you, but 
I know this is not something that I have control over because I don't have the answers to it in my life. And in those two days' time, my my dad came to me. It was his mother that passed and said, we want you to sing in the funeral. I don't want to sing in the funeral. And then mom said, you're going to sing in the funeral. And that was kind of the way it happens. And so I stood up to sing that day and and I sang just a hymn. It was a very simple song. wasn't hard. I knew it from memory. I'd sung it all my life. It was the simple hymn, Because He Lives. I stumbled through the first verse, and all I could think was, God, I don't know what this is going to do to me. I can't honestly say that I will stay. And then I got to the course, and here's what it says. God sent his son, they called him Jesus. He came to love, heal, forgive. He lived and died to buy my pardon. An empty grave is there to prove my Savior lives. And I'm telling you, when I sung that phrase, a light went on. The next phrase, because he lives, I can face tomorrow. I don't have any idea what came out of my mouth after that moment. But I can tell you this, what came on in my mind because what shone in my heart was a hope that transcends the ultimate question of life, of death. And when I relinquished control, there's never been a moment in my life where death conjured fear in me. Not a moment. The one place where I most feared it might cause me to walk away from God was gone. Was gone. As you discern where you are today and the teachings of God and where you find that the sayings of God are hard in your life, I'm asking you To trust God enough. I'm not asking you to believe in him yet. I'm asking you to trust him enough to reveal those moments where you're willing to say, this is too hard, I'll walk away. And trust him enough to show you what he wants to show you in the midst of those hard moments, in the midst of that pain, in the midst of that unanswered question. I'm not telling you that he'll answer every question in the way that you ask it. I am telling you his presence will come and will bring a peace to your life in a way that that question just won't be as important as it once was. That Christ will be more important to you than any lingering doubt in you and unbelief. I find today that many people are comfortable living with the chaos and the question rather than allowing Jesus to either be the answer Or to provide the answer. It's become so comfortable that we fear anything else that might actually come. Friends, Jesus meets us in our chaos and our questions. But he doesn't leave us there. He's the way. He is the truth. And he is the life. And what he wants to bring is life to you by his word. In that area. In that place. In that way. If you find yourself with more questions than answers today about God. Don't fret. You may very well be on the verge of the most life-shaping moment when God will break through in a way you could not have imagined. But you will have to trust him and you will have to open your heart to him. Watching people walk away from God is never easy. And the vacuum it creates always pulls other people with it, especially those who have been in or around the grumbling of the unbelief. 
It just gets enough of a line in them that drags it with them. As I said, grumbling is that spiritual language of unbelief. And where you sense that grumbling is coming out of your mouth, you can know that it's resting unbelief within you. When people walk away from Jesus, it reveals what's always been in their heart. You see, false disciples practice false commitment that will not sustain them in hard times. Let me give you briefly five false commitments that we see in the scriptures. One is negotiation. When you mask your unbelief with negotiation, here's what you say. God, I'll follow you, but first you have to do this for me. You're jockeying for control. It's a power play. God, I'm going to keep my finger on this. I'm not going to let you have it. And if I'll follow you, but I get to keep this. The second false commitment is the false commitment of hesitation. God, I'll follow you, but I'm not available until... And you put some kind of condition on following him. Hesitation is always unbelief that is masked by rejection or by blame. It's usually just a smokescreen so that the defense you have up against that area of hardness, of sensitivity or sensibility, that God won't, you'll think God won't get to it or see it. I'm telling you, God already knows it, friends. A third false commitment is the false commitment of consideration. Here's what you say, God, I'll follow you, but I'm going to need something first. Matthew 8 tells us that one man said to Jesus, I'll follow you, Lord, but first let me go bury my father. Seems pretty legit, doesn't it? I mean, honoring those. But you see, Jesus knew that the real issue wasn't just the burial of his father. It was the fact that that was the way he was going to dismiss having to follow Jesus Consideration is unbelief masked by passivity. I have no intent of following. A fourth false commitment is the false commitment of accommodation. When we say to God, God, I'll follow you, but here's what I'm going to need. I'm going to need some comfort. I'm going to need some convenience. Life's going to have to be lived in the way that I determine if you expect this from me. The scribe came to Jesus in Matthew 8 as well. And he said, I'll follow you wherever you go. And he said, the foxes have a hole to sleep in, but the Son of Man has no place to lay his head. You see, accommodation is unbelief that is masked by confused priority. A fifth is declaration. God, I've done all I know to do. What more could there be, the rich young ruler? And declaration is simply unbelief masked by dismissed obedience. If you just bang your fist enough in your heart and say, I do believe, I do believe, I do believe, there's no cantation that you can, that you can exercise to believe when unbelief remains in you, friends. Hear me, unbelief cannot be overcome by a mask. Why? Because a mask is an effort of the flesh. Whether it's in your mind, whether it's in your emotions, whether it's in your volition, whatever the case may be, in your ability, in your accomplishment, unbelief cannot be masked because the flesh is useless. Only the Spirit brings life. But it can only be exposed, unbelief, through repentance so that we can turn and belief. Let me ask you this. Are you masking unbelief in any of these ways in your heart? I've watched people walk away from the church for all kinds of reasons and ultimately walk away from God. And the Bible tells us hard teachings still send people away. Paul tells Timothy there will come a time when people will, will not put up with sound teaching. They won't have it. They want something that accommodates their life more than cause their life to acclimate to God. 
They have itching ears. And if you don't scratch them, they won't stay around very long. When personal needs don't get met or a situation causes a person to become angry or disillusioned with God, people still walk away. When one moment they're committed, the very next moment they turn and they walk away. And hear me, friends, walking away from the church doesn't necessarily mean you walk away from God. And I'm talking little C church, the local church. But staying doesn't automatically mean that you continue to follow Jesus either. Some of you are here today and you believe that you're a Christian and you believe that you're following Jesus because you stay in the crowd. But being in the crowd never makes you one of the crew. Doesn't inherently mean you are a child of God. Only those who have repented of their sins and received Jesus as Lord are true children of God. There's not a day that passes. There's not a situation that arises. There's not a decision that needs to be made that doesn't threaten and test our belief. The deceptive danger is that one who follows closely to Jesus and to his followers until this decisive moment of turning away, I thought I was, but then, and I walked away. You go, how could that be? Because of that lingering unbelief that you've masked and you've buried and you've learned to live in such a way that just avoids it more than anything do you want to leave too if there's any inkling in you right now I'm going to ask you to wait one more moment as I walk through the remainder of this passage the third question is not only one to help us diagnose and discern, but to strengthen our belief and understand what that means. Jesus asked them, do you want to go away too? And Peter helps us. Now, I don't think Peter was intending to be wise in his response. I just think it was an innocent ignorance. (laughs) I think it was an innocent naivete when he said, I've scanned all the world, Lord Jesus. I've looked at everything else that I've done and everything else that others have done. And here's my conclusion. Where else would we go? Where else would we go? He shows that believe isn't some flippant decision made in a moment. You see, believe means you trust Jesus. It means you receive the Spirit for eternal life and enter into the work of God as the best. Whatever that may be in all of life. Jesus didn't ask. Now, if you can think of anything else you wanted to do, go ahead and do that. No. He didn't ask if there were other things you still enjoyed, go do that. Jesus asked, do you want to forsake me for anything else the world could offer? You see, Jesus understood this question because in Matthew 4, he had been taken to a high point and shown all the kingdoms of the world by Satan. And Satan said this, if you'll worship me, I'll give it all to you. And here's what Jesus said to Satan. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your strength, and with all your mind. Because everything you could give me, Satan, can't touch what God the Father has in store for me. And what I'm calling you to believe today, friends, is simply this. It's not to look into the world and say there's nothing out there I would want. There's plenty of things out there that this hard heart can often desire. It's not to look and say, I find no joy in the world, only in Jesus. It's not some kind of cave dwellers where we isolate from the world. There's plenty of things in the world that we can enjoy, but enjoying them so that Christ is Lord is what Jesus is calling us to in this. 
Believing in Jesus means choosing him above all else in every situation and at all times. It means obeying his word because his word is where the spirit comes and the spirit is the one who gives us life. And there is no life if we're not living in obedience to the word of God. And friends, when you find that the word is coming against the hardness of your heart where you don't believe it, that is the very point that God wants to work in your life. Lord, to whom shall we go? Who else has life? I've tried that. It felt good for a moment and then it just destroyed me. I've done this and I can tell you, it leads nowhere. It's a dead end and it's a short path to get there. I've tried this, and we can walk through meticulously each one of you who've tried another path and who've tried another way and who have tried to replace the promise of God, and you will tell us the same things, that you have found the world and all of its promises, and you have been left wanting for something more. And I'm telling you, the more that you want for is Jesus. If you will say to him, whom else could we go to? Whom else could we turn to? There is no other that's better. There is no other that will give greater meaning, deeper satisfaction or joy or purpose to your life. And though you may not understand everything, though it may be confusing at times, Christ will be your rock. He will bring to you all that you need as you need it in the way that you need it and when you need it. He will not let you go. But nothing else in the world will do that for you. Jesus holds us by putting his word in us. The more closely you walk with Jesus, the far less of you that will remain in you and the more of his word you will become. The only way that you can know you will not turn away from Jesus is to know that Jesus' word is holding you.